Hey everyone, my name is Andrew Warner. I'm so excited to do this. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses for an audience of entrepreneurs. Joining me is someone who's been a long fan and also who I've been a customer of his for years. And um, apparently a few of you who've listened to me after hearing him here in the past became customers of his. Enough with the introduction. Let me let me explain who this is. This is Patrick Campbell. He is the founder of ProfitWell. What they did for me initially was just tell me, how much money am I making from each subscriber? So you get someone who sign up for a monthly membership. Are they worth a lot or a little? Will they stay for one month or several years? I had no idea. And ProfitWell told us that and gave us charts and did all of it for free where competitors were charging. And then they took it to the next level, which is what was so significant. If somebody canceled, they would go back to them and say, do you want to just update your credit card? If somebody's credit card failed, they'd say, do you want to add your new card? And dude, Patrick, first of all, I should say you sold your company and it's a bootstrap company. We'll talk about how much and why. I should say that as you and I were emailing, underneath your message to me was an email from supposedly you, but mostly your robot at ProfitWell saying, we've recovered money for you. <laughs> so you're still saving me money as we're talking about doing this interview. We're going to find out how and why ProfitWell sold, how it built up, and we can do it all thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, if you're looking for developers, go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. The second, if you've got some money the way that Patrick does, you should invest it. And I'm going to tell you later why Masterworks is a good place for you to consider. Patrick, how much did you sell for? Let's announce it. It's public, but let's just do it. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we we sold for over two hundred million, um, and uh, yeah, went from bootstrap to over two hundred million. And it, it's kind of sur- it's. I've been sitting with the news for a long time. Obviously, we announced yesterday, but it's still pretty surreal because I'm just cranking already. I'm not even not even stopping. I'm going on with the existing business. But thanks for having you me, for man. Cash? You were one of the first people. Uh, oh, wait, wait, you're about equity. to compliment me. What, tell me, the one of the first people I was going to compliment do you. I was going to say you're the one of the first people I contacted because I enjoy the pod. I enjoy the content. And Thanks. so I was like, if I want to tell this story, and literally we're telling, this is the first the first time I'm telling the story after this is going public. But uh, yeah, long story short, it was cash and equity. It was a considerable amount of cash. Uh, I don't want to uh, necessarily publicly share uh, all those details, but uh, yeah, it was cash and equity. Um, there's enough equity that I am very, incentivized to stick around which i think is is the right move and what we wanted and then the cash means that if you know god forbid anything happens to myself or the business uh many generations are taken care of i'll 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 describe it that way many generations let's do some rapid fire you were uh the sole owner of the company uh, I know. So we were very generous with equity. Um, we were very, um, it was kind of an approach. There was definitely a debate there like early on, like, do we want to kind of hoard equity, you know, as us and a couple of the initial execs, um, or is it something where you want kind of everyone to win? Um, I held a considerable amount of the company, so I'm not more than fifty percent. Mother Teresa here, uh, I, in a sense, uh, I, I won't go too deep into it. Uh, but yeah, what does in a sense mean? Like, it was like a it, good the way the deal was structured, um, mm-hmm. uh, it basically, um, I, I did get a considerable amount of the value there. So it's a good question, um, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. You mean it wasn't shares that you were offering or options? It was a different structure? 
Yeah, we had a couple of different structures within the company, um, okay. especially going into the deal. Um, but it was one of those things that uh, um, we wanted to make sure that everyone got paid. We wanted to make sure that everyone got paid a, a good chunk. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously more some people got more than others just based on their 10-year time impact, those types of things. But, and you uh, made those decisions uh, afterwards or, or before? After the sale? Uh, no, like most of, well, we couldn't really make those after the sale, right? But, um, well... You know, there's stuff that's that's the one thing a lot of people don't realize about like acquisitions is like this is why you got to really trust, I would argue, like your exec team or your founders if you're going through especially a venture backed acquisition, because if you're not like going public and even if you're going public, like a lot of that stuff could shift. Um, so stuff that was kind of promised earlier on can shift. Thankfully, we were, you know, not trying to to to. Um, do something that wasn't in the spirit of, of, of the equity and stuff like that. But what I was referring to more as like, we took a philosophy that I was trying to get to really early on where, um, you know, we wanted people to have considerable upside and considerable impact in the business. And so even our vesting schedule, like really incentivized, um, sticking around, um, being within the business. And then we even chose to like accelerate everyone who was in the businesses, vesting those types of things. So yeah, Accelerated that's, that's kind of the sale you mean. That. Uh, well, it was part of the sale, meaning like Got it. We, saw, we like sign an LOI, then you kind of go through and you have to make some of these decisions, right? And so anyone who was in the business who was um, at ProfitWell for more than a certain amount of time, we accelerated all of their shares essentially. Got it. Um, to make sure that they, you know, kind of got out. And this is something that we had promised um, ourselves like really early on. Like that was kind of the expectation um, kind of going into things, if that makes sense. I promise I won't spend all this time on how much money because the truth is that that doesn't really help <laughs> us do anything. It just helps us gawk, and I, sure. I want to get to know how you did it. But let's just spend a couple more minutes on on money. You sure. have tens of millions of dollars now in a bank account, right? Yeah, it's kind of weird. You, and so I asked yeah, you, how does life change weird. with that? And you um, didn't even feel happy with the answer. Do, do you get to sleep better at night? Do you get to dream about yeah. what you're going to do? What happens now with all that? It's, it's kind of weird because it's very, um, I think it would be different if I wasn't coming on board, if that makes sense. Like if it was just mm -hmm. kind of like a sale mm. and like, we'll see you later because then it's like, you know, and then you have the, but, but maybe it wouldn't have been different. And what I mean by that is I, I like, I've seen a lot of my founder friends go through exits before and I counseled a lot or counseled or got counsel from them through this process. And like, honestly, like it's, it's kind of a weird phenomenon because, um, Half of the ones I asked, I asked about 30 founder friends who had sizable exits, like, you know, hey, you have this size of an exit. Do you take it? Do you do it again or do you not? And like half of them said no, that they would have kept going. And half of them said, you know, yes, of course. Right. And all of them took the exit. Right. And so like it's a little bit different. It's a little bit hard. But the main reason was because people had this like void that all of a sudden they didn't know how to fill, which I, I know is kind of like a champagne problem and kind of crazy. Like for me, it was kind of funny. I had a conversation with someone, um, you know, who's still in the business a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, yeah, you know, millions of dollars in the bank, but like just still writing emails, you know, still, still putting together content, still doing these types of things. And I think that it, it was, I definitely am a little lighter. I think I definitely like, I think I'm, I, I worry a little bit less about certain things, but those have been replaced by like other worries. Like I, I never really feared death or loss aversion before, which is kind of weird. And now all of a sudden mm. I'm like, oh crap, like, you know, now I want to kind of, you know, I got here, now I kind of want to enjoy it. Like, oh, that's really scary, right? Which is kind of a weird feeling that I, I haven't had. So long story short, like I, it, it's definitely changing and it's a very privileged thing to, you know, to be able to talk about, but, but 
long and short of it, it is, uh, it is, is really fascinating. So you didn't have this like insane worry all the time that it was all going to go away and you needed to just lock something in so that you wouldn't, I don't know, be replaced by a competitor that was offering everything for free. It seems like you were doing okay. My sense was you finally hit your groove a few years ago. Am I right? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It, it there was there were definitely some major problems um which I'm happy to get into like even even as soon as like 2 years ago, but I think that um we were settling in, we were the dominant player in multiple markets. Those markets weren't enormous and that was part of the problem. Um, but it was one of those things where like from an operation standpoint, brand standpoint, product standpoint, we were really starting to hit a groove, like tons of shit shows, like to every company still to fix. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't feeling like, oh my God, if we don't do this now, we're screwed. Like there were definitely some of those conversations of like, well, like, where's the market going to go? Like, and obviously the market's not doing really well, but that like, we weren't timing the market. I don't think anyone can truly time the market, mm -hmm. but yeah, I think it was one of those things we're hitting the groove and what really helped I us. I mean, you personally, Patrick, sure. I mean, you personally, for a long time, you were almost overshadowed by Josh who ran bear metrics, who was like <laughs> the cool kid in the space. He had yeah, great yeah, yeah, design. Yeah. I have to be honest, his design was better than profit. Well, and he was more plugged in and connected. And I feel like you were just not in a lot of conversations. And at some point a few years ago, things changed. You were getting more public and talking and like doing interviews and being interviewed. You create, you know what did it for me? You created the baseball cards of entrepreneurs. That's like a fun <laughs> project that is not yeah. ROI based that you have got your groove and can do the childhood fantasy thing. Am I right about that or am yeah. I misreading things from the outside? All of that. Yeah, it's a good question. I think for us, for me personally, I, yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I, I think that you're, you're not necessarily correct in the sense of like, like all this, like you see the end of it, right? So we were always like trying to build brand. We were trying to build content, right? And then like you start seeing, as you called it, the groove, because I mm -hmm. think that all of a sudden we started getting enough of a base under us. Like we were invited to talk on podcasts. Therefore, like we started doing mm -hmm. it. We didn't like, we tried to push it a little bit. I do think personally, like for me, like I, I had a really tough time in this market because of just how insecure of a human I am. I think that like, we definitely had some issues like early days from a competitive standpoint where it was like trying to like get out there, like, you know, kind of, I don't want to say getting made fun of, but that's kind of what it was like in the what early days. What do you days. mean? Who would make fun and, of it? Who would make fun uh, of it? It's just like, it's, I think the indie hacker community, which like I'm a part of theoretically mm -hmm. is very, um, you have some of the most helpful, supportive human beings in all of tech. And then you mm -hmm. have this like very small percentage of very self-righteous like folks. And so like the, the design comment, like you had, like there were people that I had gotten on the phone for multiple hours to help them with their pricing, just out of like the kindness of my heart. Mm -hmm. um, and also like, yeah, it comes back eventually, right? Like it wasn't a purely mm -hmm. like selfless act who like would like then talk crap about us on Twitter maybe justifiably like, oh, like this is a crappy product or whatever it is. But like in a way that was like, 
just kind of, you know, it really kind of hurt and kind of like hit you at the core because you're sitting there yeah. and you're like, you're trying, you're trying to be really, really helpful. And yeah. anyone who's met me or, or talked to me knows that I at least try to be really helpful. And so it was one of those things where it was like in the early days, like it was hard. It had a lot of anxiety on top of the anxiety of trying to build a business. And I don't know, like it's, it's not a, like it's, 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 it's not friend club, right? Like it's business, you know? So it's not something that I'm like complaining about, but it's more of like, yeah, that was hard, but that was the motivation. I'm very like, you know, unfortunately negatively motivated um, or insecurely motivated. What does that mean that you're and negatively so, motivated or insecure? You've, you mentioned that, I wrote it down. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I'm very, I'm very um, like, it's, it's very like, it's, it's actually pretty simple. It's like very, tell me I can't like, you know, uh-huh. kind of like, um, push me like my coaches back in the day I did, you know, I went to college on a debate scholarship. They would like, like they knew going into a tournament that they would like stop giving me attention because it would like drive me nuts. Like it was definitely not the great mm. thing as a human, but from a co- competition standpoint, I was like, all right, I'm going to go like win. I'm going to go win. Right. Um, and so like that insecurity really drives a lot of like, all right, I'm going to get better. I'm going to go after this. I'm going to study more. I'm going to learn more. I'm going to like be more helpful. I'm going to get more stuff out there. And so, yeah, I don't really know where I was going with this, but I think long story short, like it was definitely one of those things where like I did hit a stride because I think we started winning, right? Like we started winning. We had so many more people on um, ProfitWell versus the rest of the competition. Like we started getting recognition in the market. Like people started finally looking at like a lot of the content. And that's what I was saying. It was like, yeah, you started seeing like when we were really getting pops, right? But we had to earn those pops by like fighting for every inch, every blog post, those types of things before that. So yeah. Yeah, good good reflection. I it's been a while since I've had the uh, the aggressive interviewing, and so yeah, I appreciate it. It's given me given me good depth you, here to explore. It is very friend club because I think that things are going pretty well for people in this space, and I do mm. feel like you are on the outside of the friend club. Like the friend club is where I was sitting mm. with dinner with Noah Kagan and talking to him about um, our numbers and saying I was using bare metrics, and he goes, "Yeah, but the big secret is profit well is free." That like. That's him mm. helping out, me going and staying at his house when, I, when I'm when i in Austin and didn't have a place to stay for the night. You know, I feel like for a while you were on yeah. the outs of that. And then at some point you got in. And I, and I feel what you're saying is, Andrew, things were going so well that even my own insecurity couldn't tell me I wasn't doing well. And I could actually finally step into the role mm. that I had found myself in, that I'd earned. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's an interesting, interesting thought. I actually think if if, to use your framing, like we got in by like being helpful, right? Like this is, this is the thing that I think a lot of people like don't realize. Like I got advice early on that was like, don't go to events, like focus on product, focus on product, right? Which is definitely true. But what I kind of took was like, oh, when I go to events or I go hang out with, you know, even Noah at an event, that's a good, good example, actually. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, like, he's going to give me a piece of advice. He's going to introduce me to someone new. And like, if you give more, like you're helpful as much as possible, you get a lot back. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's just like, that was, that was also a hard thing too, because I think that I would tell you in the last two years, I can, I have dozens of examples, not dozens, probably like one dozen examples of people I've gotten on the phone with who were kind of part of the friend club, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I ended up like talking to, and they were like, oh, I, I'm, it was like one guy like actually was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I was like, what? It's all good. And he's like, no, like for years I thought you were an asshole. <laughs> And I was like, what? Okay. He's like, yeah, like I just thought you were an asshole because I was told you were an asshole, right? And the end of why I was told I was I was an asshole was because like 
oh, like I stole someone's idea. Like, oh, we like, you know, basically like we're trying to sell stuff, you know, like that type of a thing. We weren't doing the like, you know, that that 20% of the indie hacker ethos, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting, these these markets as they grow. So I like Josh a lot too. And I th- I think a lot of us do, Josh from Bear Metrics. He did this analysis on Twitter where he said that mm. one of the reasons why he didn't get nearly the size uh, exit that you did is he said from the beginning he thought of his company as a side hustle, a side project. And he took some money from Stripe, I think, and then he was connected to yep. Stripe, so he was only doing Stripe analysis. And then the way that he created his product was more directly in line with Stripe and less about a bigger business. Do you feel that analysis was right on his part? And then I'd love to see why you think you you did do well, why you won. Yeah. Yeah, so first, like, I think Josh, and, and I would, I mean, it kind of doesn't matter. Like, he's out of this space at this point. So if I, he sold I felt a while ago, I'd yeah. definitely say it. Yeah, I think Josh is extremely talented. And the thing that, like, and we have a lot of similarities. Like, you know, it's kind of funny. He would, like, talk about his Glowforge, which is like a, a little laser printer. And I'd be like, oh, I bought my Glowforge. Like very like similar interest. And that was always interesting, you know, kind of following him on Twitter and following the journey. And so like I've always appreciated him and like the way he looks at things. But I do think, as, as you're saying, like like I'm very opposite in the sense of like he starts a lot of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And he has like, you know, he started Bear Metrics, as he said, kind of as this like side hustle in his mind. And I, I can't do that. Like, it's really hard for me to do that. Like, I get people who want me to, like, do side consulting on pricing or they want me to, um, you know, do, like, you know, almost like a speaker's bureau and do talks on marketing and stuff. And it's, I can't, like, I have to focus on, like, one thing. And I genuinely asked him in response to that thread, you know, like, hey, do, like, <laughs> I almost wanted to be like, like, how do you do this? Like, I don't know how to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So I do think, like, the side hustle mentality, like, it, I think it's really, really good for exploring. But, like, when you want to mm-hmm. go deep and you raise money and those types of things, I, I, you can't, I don't think you can treat it like that. And I think that's what Josh has learned. And I'm actually an investor and maybe, um, at this point, his new venture. And so, yeah, I think it's, like, one of those things where, like, he taught me a lot not only in like some of the stuff he was doing, but also he taught me a lot in the sense of like, oh, this was going on and like how I learned from that insecurities I was talking about. But I think in terms of like the outside success, here's a couple of things about this market that I think we Mm -hmm. really realized early on that no one else did. Um, One, selling analytics and metrics is a terrible business. It is a terrible business. It does not matter what analytics suite you're doing. Terrible. Like it's hard. Um, and we did, we did pricing. I'm going to write this down and we'll come back into more detail. Selling analytics is a horrible business. What else were you going to say? I was going to say, so also, um, one of the reasons it's horrible, we can come back to it is because accuracy is so important. So, Our gut was punched when all of a sudden we were working on this. Uh, Nick from Chart Mogul was working on this. And then Josh, Bear Metrics, all of a sudden we're all working on it. And Josh gets out there, gets the hacker news crowd, like excited, goes and speaks at MicroConf, you know, that kind of a world. And all of a sudden it was one of these things where it was just like this gut punch when he like launched it because we were like, oh crap, he's got the crowd. It's beautiful. It's really, really well designed. And like we're so behind. We don't have a designer. We barely have engineering resources. And so, but what we discovered in in that jolt of like, oh, this market's becoming competitive is, oh, if the numbers aren't right, it doesn't matter because the people who are willing to pay enough, meaning the larger companies, they're the ones who only care about the number being right. And unlike like a marketing piece of software or something like that, it's financial metrics. So it has to be right. 
So yeah, I do think that like that was something we discovered and, you know, it wasn't as pretty, but when we got accuracy, that was the biggest thing that like really drove our growth. Free also drove our growth. But I think the other thing that Josh kind of mentioned, I do think the the Stripe exclusivity partnership was was really bad for the business. Um and it it like when I found out about it, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I could have made that mistake because also, I wouldn't have known it was a mistake at the time because I think that the world was like, and I don't like, I don't think Stripe did anything nefarious, right? I think it was just like, oh yeah, let's build together and we'll be on this ecosystem and it'll be awesome. And then Stripe gets distracted and grows, but there's still this like two year exclusivity. Um, and that's hard because the market just wasn't big enough. There weren't enough companies on Stripe to support a venture back company, I would argue. Um, and so you needed to build like, and, and just acquiring these customers is so difficult because you don't know, even if you're using like built with data, what, subs- what billing system they're using always. And so all of a sudden it's like, you know, if you send out to a hundred subscription companies, even if you're targeted, like there's only a portion of those that are using Stripe. And so all of a sudden you're like wasting so many calories and different leads and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I do think his analysis was right. I think that, um, I do think that it was a little bit more complicated because I just don't think that this is a, I, I think the free model was the right way. We were going to shut it down or go free. That was our only option. We weren't going to sell it, um, you know, for the metrics product to, to customers just because analytics is such a terrible business. My problem with analytics is it stinks because unless you tell me what to do about it, all you're doing is making me feel bad and leaving me helpless. Preach. Preach. That's it, right? Yep. But so if 100%. you tell me, Andrew, you lost a customer, I feel terrible Either tell me, here's how to call them and win them back, which is minor, or do what you eventually did, which is say, we will get them back for you. But to just leave me with the data is hopeless, sad, and useless. It's not, it's, it's, it's not that it's useless. I, I 100% you know what, agree I'm exaggerating. No, I know. Of course, of course. Uh, you're you're a media guy, Andrew. Okay. Of course, you are, right? Yeah. But but no. no but I shouldn't but I be exaggerating. The, thing... the the reality is that it uh... was helpful to know. Here's how much a customer is worth. To know, for example, a monthly subscriber sure. is worth a hundred dollars, and if you sell an annual subscription for two hundred, you might as well sure, sure, sure. just sell annual or bump people to annual. That little bit of information was useful. Yeah. Here's what here's what I would say. Okay. You have a spectrum of trying to solve a problem as a business owner, right? You want some sort of outcome. You want lower churn, higher ARPU, right. better LTV, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. In order to get that outcome, you need insights. Insights are really difficult because it's not just a number goes up, number goes down. It's why. Why is the number going up? Why is the number going down? Mm-hmm. In order to get insights, you need analytics. So because of that spectrum and because you're so far from the outcome part of that spectrum as an analytics product, it's incredibly difficult to get a business person, owner, operator, product person, whoever it is for whatever analytics to appreciate how much effort and how much time goes into making an analytics product, right? And we discovered this really early on, a startup and a enterprise company, the distance between their willingness to pay was not that high. Meaning like, yeah, the startup would pay a hundred bucks, but like, it's not like the, you know, the, the enterprise company was going to pay a hundred thousand dollars for the same type of a product. And this is why all analytics companies, they they all start out by saying they're going to democratize, you know, whatever analytics across the space. And then they all go, nope, we're actually going to go Fortune 2000. We're going to go up market. Mixpanel, Domo, Grow has done this. Like they all kind of do that um, because that's where the dollars are. And when you get to outcomes, which is what we did with Retain and some of the other products we're going to end up building, like that's that's where the real juice is. Okay, let me take a moment to talk about my first sponsor. My first sponsor is a company called Lemon.io. I told you before we got started, they 
They help people. They help companies find developers. And they were based out of Ukraine. They still have a lot of people in Ukraine. You had a story about Ukraine. What happened there? And then we'll come back into this sponsorship. Yeah, totally. So I, um, the, the you know, I'm not Ukrainian, but I was helping some companies out of um, an incubator in Estonia. Uh, I think this was in 2014, 2015, right after the the Crimea incident. And I asked, you know, just kind of making conversation, one of the Ukrainian teams that that had come and I said, hey, like, how's everything going? And, you know, what's, you know, obviously this is not great or wasn't great what happened. And they said, we thought you would help us. And that's how they phrased it. And it was really dramatic. And I was like, you, like, what do you mean? He's like, well, the U.S., like you guys said you were going to help us, right? And I felt this like weird uh. personal, um, you know, and obviously like, you know, it's, it's, it's one story. But when this started popping off, you know, this year, you know, I sent out a, um, you know, tweet storm and I sent out a, um, a LinkedIn post just saying, hey, if you're in Ukraine or even I was like, even Russia, like wherever and you want, like you fear that a conflict's going to start because this is before the conflict started, um, you know, let's let's get you out. Like, let's raise some money. Like, we'll get flights. We got people in Poland who can take you in. This was before everything kind of started. And yeah, we got we got some folks out, which was great. Um, you know, but obviously, uh, it was one of those things where we got a lot of responses that were like, oh, it's going to be fine, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was just kind of heartbreaking. You know, it's been a whole heartbreaking situation. But um, yeah, so that's, that's you know, a little, little personal. And I, I don't know the Lemon.io guys that well, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where you have, you know, a group of people who you know, didn't ask for this. Um, you know, even the Russian, you know, population didn't ask for this. And so it's just one of those things that's just heartbreaking all around. It's shocking how much they didn't expect it. I mean, Alex from Lemon said that he was in Germany on vacation. He came home just days yeah. before this whole thing started, which is a reminder to me. Number one, the U.S. is not coming to help anybody. Let's, let's cut that out. We're not helping anybody. Number two, no one's helping us either. We've got to just be prepared to leave. I really admire. There's a friend of the podcast, friend of my family's, who was on the podcast a couple of times, who as soon as um, COVID happened, he just went and went to Singapore. He said, "I'm looking and seeing where mm. can I go." Now, I'm not advocating going to a different country whenever something goes bad, but I'm advocating doing something, taking action instead of waiting for something to happen. All right, all this is kind of distracting from this ad that I that I'm getting paid. <laughs> it's good color, though. It's good color, though. It yeah, is yeah, good yeah. color, actually. Here's the deal. The dude, Alex, ended up leaving Ukraine. He is going to become an American citizen, so I shouldn't say America is not helping anyone. He is going to get to be an American citizen because America is welcoming people from Ukraine in. And number two, he says his company is doing well. He is committed to paying the salaries of the people who work for him. He's committed to helping them out, even if they can't work. And so I assumed that he wasn't going to be doing well. He says he is doing better this year than before. One of the things that he's admitting that this has done for him is it's allowed him and pushed him to go and get developers outside Ukraine. He realized there are other places like Ukraine where there's smart developers who are being underpaid. And he said, you know, I'm going to bring them to companies that need great developers and don't want to pay, you know, Silicon Valley or even U.S. prices. And so that's what Lemon.io is. They will match you. If you're listening to me, they will match you with a phenomenal developer. They will work with you and switch them out if it's not a great developer. And frankly, if you don't like them, you don't even have to get started. So I think you should give them a shot by going to lemon.io slash Mixergy. When you do, they will match you with someone. And because you're using my URL, they will get you a lower price than other people pay. It's lemon.io slash Mixergy. 
I'm sitting out here in Austin. I, I think my neighbor's doing some work, but the neighbor's like all the way down there. Dude, I'm from New York, San Francisco, Argentina, like Buenos Aires. I've never lived in the country like this. Austin still has like five acres of land like this with, you know, deer coming in. Last night there was a fox coming in. <laughs> this is great. That's awesome, man. You're living in Puerto Rico now? I am living in Puerto Rico. I, uh, it's funny you say that with acreage. I actually, I grew up in Wisconsin, so I grew up with uh, large swaths of land everywhere, almost almost to a point. But yeah, I moved to Puerto Rico. Um, I think, uh, you know, it, it would be it would be disingenuous for me to say that uh, the, the tax benefits was not a reason to move. Um, it's one of these things, uh, it's called Act 60, um, that is really advantageous. And so as the deal started coming together, um, was one of those things where at this point in my life, Jenny, my better half and I, like, we don't have kids yet. Um, we're going to start down that track. Um, we'd always kind of wanted to live in like a little bit more of a beach environment. We've lived in mm -hmm. Boston as well as Utah. And so we kind of looked at it and, you know, we went and visited a couple times, you know, fell in love with it a little bit and, you know, we're looking at it for the next part of the journey. And so, yeah, it's exciting. Um, it's been, and you don't have to pay any taxes on the sale on, uh, it's, it's a little more gains. complicated. Yeah. There's no, there's no capital gains. Um, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. It's there's, there's some tax. I'm going to, I'm going to pay a good portion of taxes. I'll put it that way. Um, but it's, 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 it's one of those things where like it, it's kind of funny. And this is where like when you're going into a sale, like the way you structure a sale, um, what the equity is, how the equity is dispersed, these types of things, especially if there's equity part of the deal is super, super important. Um, and it also like for a lot of bootstrap companies, like this is, this is a mistake we made, like making sure that you are, um, doing that hygiene earlier, like well before you want to get into a sales situation. Um, we just didn't keep up that hygiene because like we didn't need to, we weren't raising money. We always said, Oh, well, when we go raise money, we'll, we'll do that. Cause that was kind of the initial intention. Um, but yeah, just making sure you kind of make sure your ops and stuff is in place. It'll save you a lot of, what do you mean? What kind of uh, lawyer hygiene? fees? Um, just like, like basics, like there's some basic stuff, which is kind of embarrassing to admit, but like just making sure like all the docs are in one place. Like we had some, we had some of that done, but like all of a sudden like chasing stuff down, like, oh yeah, the cap table is like 99% accurate. It's not a hundred percent accurate. Like we got to input those things into shareworks, those types of things. That's what we use for our cap table management. Um, and then just like your operating agreement, like how that's structured. If you're even, if you're an LLC or you're a corp, like what elections you filed, that type of stuff. Mm. Um, there's just a lot of stuff we learned that we're like, oh, that we weren't focused on it. But and it's all the stuff in the beginning. You're like, yeah, we'll figure this out when it's when it matters, right? You know, mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, it, it all of a sudden you're in it and it matters. And it's like, oh, there's that thing that we should have done three years ago or, or something like that that's really important. So just whatever type of business you are, just, you know, spend the money. Like spend the money on a decent lawyer. It doesn't have to be the most expensive lawyer, but just to make sure you're you've prepped your company for sale. That's that's the 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 code word that I, I think uh, we've talked about for for a while now from what i see here from this google search you have to live in puerto rico for 183 days before act 60 tax benefits kick in right yep and it so qualifies go ahead no sorry it qualifies yeah so you're the year of the move residency um basically is retroactive to January 1st, as long as you meet a number of requirements. Um, and so this was fun to figure out because talking to many lawyers about it and tax tax folks, I'm just trying to figure it out. But um, 
yeah, the way that it's structured. And also like the value, this is why I'm paying some taxes is because the valuation of your security before um, moving to Puerto Rico, that is still taxed, right? And so basically the tax is up to my move. And then basically when, you know, the sale goes through the valuation, you know, increases. And so that's ah. what will be fair for tax I or free that. from capital gains tax. Yeah. It's, it's complicated. Don't just go to someone okay. who does this all day, every day, because like, the first guy I talked to, he was, I just asked all these questions and he, everything was yes. Everything was, yeah, of course. I was like, well, what if I don't do this? What if I do this? Oh yeah, it's fine. Well, what if we're structured this way? Oh yeah, it's fine. And it just was to the point where I was like, I know he's just trying to get my like couple of thousand dollars to file this thing. Um, so we found some good folks through our, um, through our accountants and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah. And also like, I, you know, I've, I haven't lived there that long. Um, but I, I think that what we learned towards the end of the process is like, Make sure you're willing to be there regardless of the tax benefits. It's it's great that the tax benefit is like a big incentive and like we, I don't think we would have looked at Puerto Rico without it. But just make sure like you're you're not just doing it for that because everyone we talked to who did that um, in different places, um, they regretted it. Um, and we also were like very clear on what our expectation was of like, okay, we're going to have kids. We got to make sure there's good schools. Like we checked all that stuff out even though, you know, we're a few years from that, if that makes sense. So, yeah just it should be a part of the calculus but it shouldn't be the only part is what i'm trying to say well the reason i brought up the 183 days is because i was wondering if that's how long you were working on this deal and kind of pausing it how long has it been uh we signed the term sheet around i think it was like january 15th january 10th um okay. that was like the loi um i think we closed i don't remember the exact date but we closed in beginning of April um, or we signed the beginning of April, we did a split close um, that was basically, um, um, you know, sign. And then there's a bunch of things to get done. Like we told the team like two days after we signed just cause new employment contracts, all that kind of stuff needed to get done before technically we closed. Okay. Wow. You've been sitting on this for quite a while. Yeah. We're now May yeah. 26. I'm excited. I'm excited to get it out. That's what I was so excited about yesterday. <laughs> less about like the impact, but it's more about like, Hey, this is, you know, I don't have to like, you know, hide this or be under wraps if that makes sense. So, yeah, it does. Um, let's speaking of people, you and I talked before we got started about how you had a culture conversation with your team that resembles what Basecamp and Coinbase uh, did, which is what they did was say, we don't want politics at work. Go be political as much as you want, but keep it outside of the office. What was it like for you before you said that? Yeah. So we didn't, we didn't quite go as far as what they did to, to be clear. I think that that here's, here's the thing. I think I kind of talked about this in the beginning about making sure everyone got paid, making sure it wasn't just like, you know, I get a bag and, you know, everyone else is, you know, even if they were paid and that's what they signed up for. Like, I, I thought the MailChimp thing, you know, I don't know. I don't want to judge like Ben Chestnut mm -hmm. or anything like that. But like, it, it that's a tough thing. Like, I think it was $11 billion and like the rest of the team, you know, wasn't wasn't getting, you know, a ton. Like, that's, that's. Um, I don't even know if they got anything. They signed up for and they I said they got a bonus. we're going to pay you more. Okay. Yeah. But their whole deal was they were going to pay people more without having the yeah. risk of a stock uh, or option package. Yeah. And that's that didn't turn out so well. But, you know, that's yeah. what they signed up for. That's what they were looking for. And I see. Totally. And so you didn't have that. Okay. 
So, but the reason I bring that up is because I think like at the end of the day, your company is your people. And I don't mean that like everyone hears that and goes, oh, fluffy feelings, these types of things. And uh, the way I mean it is very practical. It's like you want to make sure incentives are aligned and incentives are not just money and stock, but incentives are like opportunities and growth and, you know, management and stuff like that. And we, we've set up a really good structure um, that I think, you know, Paddle like really enjoys and really appreciates, which is like, you know, we have people who are, you know, nine to fivers, but they work hard, they do their job and it's great. Um, and they, you know, they're, we, they know the boundaries. And then we have people who like, they want to speed up their career 10 years um, in, in a two, three year period, right? They just want to go balls to the wall, as they say. And so I think for us, like we always thought, okay, we want to be really accommodating um, to, what the lifestyles people want, as long as they're going to put in the time and the work and the effort and get performance, whatever that might be. And I think we made a really big mistake in that mindset because we confused accommodation with basically um, not having like very clear, like these are the values that we have and these are the values that are important and we will hold dear. And that means that not everyone's going to appreciate those values. Right. And some of these values are things like we really like feedback is non-negotiable. Like we talk about that, like that's the phrase we use. Now the way you receive feedback is super negotiable, but feedback in general is non-negotiable. We talk about things like, Hey, like transparency is super important. Obviously there's HR things that are not transparent, but like transparency, it's like, we're not going to like, say, you know, something, um, you know, one place and we're, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to have bad integrity and then say something else. Um, we talk about the most charitable interpretation principle. It's a big thing for us. So like, you know, if you said something that offended me, Andrew, uh, instead of being like, you know, screw you or going to the manager or whatever it is, I'd go to you. Hey man, like, I didn't really like how you said that. I'd give you the most charitable interpretation that like you didn't know that. And then you would go, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. It's like 99% of the time that what happens. And we like always talked about these things and there's others, but we didn't like defend them. And one of the things that kind of came to a head was um, we had a situation where like about two years ago, we just, I had two hours of every week and I didn't realize it for months. Two hours of every week was being spent on like either talking about like what ProfitWell could do about, like this thing that was out of our control um, or um, like talking about like, oh, well, this person said this or this person said that and kind of handling like gossipy, like political, like baloney, I would say. And so what we did is like right around, it was, it was actually before like the Basecamp Coinbase stuff, but we, we basically started saying like as a culture, like, no, 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 we care about these things. If you can't give MCI, um, barring it's an egregious thing that obviously HR should get involved with, which thankfully, you know, we haven't ever had. But if you can't give MCI, like, or you have a problem with MCI, most charitable interpretation, like this isn't the place for you. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you're bad and we're good. It doesn't mean you're good and we're bad. It just means that like, you're just not going to like this culture. Like there's going to be resentment that builds up all that kind of stuff. So like, like, let's just find you another home. Right. And around the base camp thing, we thought about this because we were like, oh no, like a year ago or whatever, like this was like this kind of stuff, this would be a hotbed issue like at ProfitWell. And we wrote a memo, we do a lot of memos and basically said, listen, you can talk about whatever you want, but you're not entitled to anyone having your opinion. You're not, you're not entitled to get super offended by someone else's opinion, but also like we're not, we're here for one thing. We're here to serve our customers. We're here to build a great company. We're here to build a company that we're all proud of. And that's our focus, right? And it was, you know, basically like 
you know, do what you want, but like, here's, here's kind of where we stand. And what was kind of beautiful about it is, you know, we published it, we sent it to the team, we had an all hands about it and, or we had an all, we talked about it in all hands and, and the feedback was like, why are we even talking about this? Right. Because we had started basically curating that culture already. Um, and so it was one of those things that I think that was really, really powerful for us was just like controlling for, you know, those things that didn't fit with our culture, which is really hard because as they always say, like, you know, there's skills that people have or that people are really high performers, but they don't fit with the culture. And then your whole team suffers because even though they're a high performer, like they're just not fitting, you know, the things that you hold dear. And, and that's really, really tough. So that's kind of our story with, with people and stuff. And it was difficult. What do you mean? Give, can you give me an example? What's a topic that someone would have a hard time giving a charitable interpretation sure. to? Um, so um, let's say I said... Um, What's a good example? Um, let's say you didn't like, you know, I called you bud. Oh, what's up, bud? You know, some people, right. like, you know, it, it could be as innocuous of that, right? Well, what would happen is, is like you would go, like a person who doesn't fit MCI would first assume that me saying bud was like, offensive or like I was trying to bother you even though I didn't know you didn't like being called bud right and then what uh -huh. would end up happening is is like you would go to the manager and you would go to the manager and say hey you need to tell Patrick that he shouldn't be calling me bud and then the manager would be like what <laughs> but like the expectation would be to go to me then they would go to me and be like uh -huh. hey so and so doesn't really like bud when you call him that and you're like well why didn't they tell me I don't know like it's they think it's offensive right like that's that's a problem and like when you go to that person and say hey like like, honestly, like as an adult, you should tell them that you don't like that. And nine out of 10 times they're going to go, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even know. Like they have a problem with that. Right. Like, well, what if like, you know, someone does this and it's a lot of what ifs and it's like, well, we'll, we'll handle that judgment and we'll handle that situation when it comes up. But like, it's, it's just one of those things that like, it's, it's hard or like I gave you feedback, but I didn't give it exactly how you want it. Right. Oh, Patrick like hates me. Patrick doesn't like me. Patrick is just being mean, you know, that type of stuff. Like that stuff happens a lot. Um, and it's one of those things where I think a lot of companies just kind of accept it and try to work around it rather than being like, Hey, this is not how we handle conflict. This is not how we handle like working together. Um, and you know, this is how we want to handle it. And I think that that's, it's hard. It's really, it's, it's surprisingly hard. It seems so obvious. I'm sure in how I describe it, but like, it just takes one or two people that like sucks up a lot of time with this type of behavior. I imagine that the word is not bud, but guys, I live in fear of uh, accidentally calling yeah. the wrong people guys. And I've practiced saying y'all, especially since I'm here in Austin, which feels so wrong <laughs> out of folks, my mouth. Y'all yeah. folks yeah. definitely doesn't. And it sounds like, um, I'm Obama. It's when less I say about folks. words. Yeah. 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 It's less about words normally. Like it, it happens with words, like that type of a thing. Um, but it's, it's more, it's, it's more often like you and I are working together. Like I'm, and I'm a very yeah. direct person or at least try to be And like you and I are working together and I go, Hey Andrew, like you wrote this email, this line doesn't work. This line's kind of shit. This line like needs to be better. And here's how to like fix these three things. Like, you and I might have a, like, that just might be how you work too. Like, and you might be like, well, no, I don't agree with this. And, and we have a conversation. It's great. There's, there's a certain archetype of people that that's really difficult. And, and I don't want to say that like I'm better and, and like I have superiority over how I handle these conflicts than them. But I just know that like our culture is very much like, Hey, let's give feedback. And if you don't like how I gave feedback, like maybe you wanted to give it differently, you're going to let me know. And then I'm going to adjust. I'm not always going to be perfect at it, but like, we're going to work together. Like, 
that that's that's kind of what we focused on. So if someone has like a really big problem with like that type of feedback and they need a compliment sandwich and those types of things, uh, like yeah. I either can't be their manager um, or um, if it's if it's egregious, maybe maybe they shouldn't work here, right? And I think that's a big thing um, at Profitwell that like Did people we really, leave like um two. It wasn't like yeah, it wasn't like there was a like. Oh my God, we had this moment in time and then a bunch of people left or anything, but yeah. we, we definitely lost. We, we let someone go because it was, it was very bad. Like think of what I'm talking about times 10 and Meaning it wasn't too like easily a, offended instead of giving people a charitable it, interpretation. Yeah. I don't want to say offended because it's like, like, it's not like we were saying guys all the time or these types of things. It was yeah. more of like, and, and, and the problem is too, is like, a lot of this happens when you're holding on to someone who isn't as good at their job as they need to be. And this is a big problem. Like it's like, Hey, if you're a 25 out of a hundred on this skill and you need to be at 50, like we were arrogant and it's, it's well-intentioned, but we were like arrogant enough to think like, Oh, we can help them. Like we can get them to a 50 out of a hundred. Well, to get from 25 to 50 on any skill, like that's probably baked into like your education, your life, whatever. Right. Like I'm not going to be able to do that in two quarters. Right. With some of these things, unless, unless you are like, yep, I will take the fire hose of feedback and we will do 17 iterations of this thing and all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's, it's not like an offensive thing. Sometimes, sometimes it's just an environment thing. And yeah, so we, we did let someone go. And that was the example of someone we let go is like, they were in, it was going on for nine months and they hated us. And we were like, just, so frustrated and it, it wasn't again because they were a bad person it's just like we put them in a job that they they were coming from a job they were fantastic at at the company and then they were put in a job where like it just they didn't have the development speed right um and that's hard but then you know we lost a couple of other people um you know mainly because i think that like they they wanted less of a feedback culture. Um, and I actually heard from one of them recently. Um, and they were like, you know, they actually were like, I thought I wanted this other culture. I went to it. I was fired without knowing why, like everything was fine. And then all of a sudden I was fired. And it turns out when I was fired, they were like, Oh, you sucked at all these things. And you're and this person was like, no one told me. Right. And so it's, you got to pick your strokes. And I think as a company, you got to like kind of commit, um, and again, I'm not saying we're right at this. I think it's just one of those things like what kind of culture are you brewing? What kind of culture are you building? Right. Let me tell you about my second sponsor. Then I want to come back and find out and talk to you about why paddle? Like what is – I have a few ideas of what paddle is. Yeah. Tell me if I'm right in understanding and then we'll talk about your health. Masterworks. When I told you that I was going to read an ad for Masterworks, you said then you're going to tell me about all the art I'm not going to invest in. Do you know what you're going to invest your money in? <laughs> Uh, I am not touching the money for at least a year. Like I might buy a couple things here and there that, you know, just kind of to spend a little, like Jenny told me I had to buy something gratuitous and mm-hmm. I didn't want to do anything, but uh, no, I'm not going to touch it for a year, but, What's your gratuitous? I yeah, but do, well, I do like art. I just uh-huh. don't, I, I think all the art I would want. I would need to be a billionaire to afford. That's that's the problem. But I could invest with Masterworks. That's the thing. Ads. Yeah. What they do is they have professionals who can pick the art. And then if you want, you can invest in it and not own the whole thing. You own a piece of it. And the reason you might want to do this now is because contemporary art prices outpaced the S&P 500 total return from 1995 to 2020 by 165%. Let me give you a little stat about inflation. Contemporary art has... Uh, has a price appreciation of 23% on average when inflation is above 3%. 
And these people, they sold their first three paintings that they sold, each realized a net annualized gain above 30% per work net of fees. This is what Masterworks does. And if you're thinking at some point you might want to actually own the whole thing yourself, you might as well buy a small piece of it so you understand it, so you get to see how the process works, profit from it, hopefully, and watch the whole thing from sale to from purchase to uh, holding to sale. If anyone out there, including you, Patrick, wants to get in on this, what you need to do is go to masterworks.art slash Mixergy. They'll get you right in. I, you do the first thing I did when I got in with them. What you do is you just get on a call with them and you say, well, how does this work? And you throw all your questions at them and they walk you through an understanding of how, how it works, how little you can invest in it, and what you could expect as you continue. Masterworks.art slash Mixergy. And I should say that because of what this is, you should see important regulation AD disclose wait important regulation A disclosures at masterworks.io slash CD. And of course, if you want to sign up, go to masterworks.art slash mixergy. All right. Here's what I know about Paddle, the company that you sold to that you're now an investor of, that a major portion of your your assets are in. They're kind of like Stripe in that I could use them for a payment processor, but they also have this feature where with Stripe, I have to make sure that I'm paying sales tax, that I'm doing all the paperwork right. And what I think Paddle does is say, tell you what, Andrew, you're not technically selling to your customer. You're selling to us. We're selling to your customer. We'll deal with the sales tax. We'll figure out what needs to happen with them. Am I right? Yeah. it's um, The way I've been describing it is we, we do all this for you. Um, and when you, you bring up tax, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. Like what people don't realize, and we're going to definitely get into some content because I think it's an amazing hook. One, because it's it sounds crazy, but two, because it's true. We go to jail if we mess up your taxes. <laughs> like that's what people don't realize. Like because we handle like all the tax for you, like literally you plug Paddle in, um, handles your billing, subscription management, localization, 29 currencies, all the payment methods, all these other things. But because it handles like tax in a turnkey way wherever you sell and it also allows you to sell everywhere, um, we take on the risk and we take on that burden. And um, that's kind of the big difference with, you know, kind of other, you know, payment providers. And it's just kind of interesting. I think this this whole do it for you ethos is exactly how we think about things. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how they thought about um, building their product. And that's that's kind of the, the nexus of like why we even started and honestly why we're here probably. The do it for you ethos meaning at ProfitWell it was, we're not just going to tell Andrew that a customer's credit card stop working and let him do it. We're not even going to do an API to make it easy for him. We're just going to do it and come back and report when we've got the money back. And Paddle exactly. is not going to give me information and make it easier for me to pay sales tax. They're just going to take on sales tax. 100%. Right? Yeah. And it's more than it's, sales tax. It's, yeah, it's more than sales tax. It's, you know, we got invoicing. Like, the currency and payment methods is really interesting because, um, you know, and, and what a lot of people don't realize, like a lot of the stuff was like, oh, are you competitive with Stripe now? And it's like, it not really. Um, and what the reason for it is it's 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 where like Stripe for first of all, we're a huge customer of Stripe as Paddle. Um, we're probably in their top hundred, two hundred. I didn't realize you know, Paddle customers. used Stripe. Well, we use a bunch of different payment folks. Mm -hmm. And so what and the re the point I was trying to make was is like Stripe isn't great in France. I think they're fantastic in France, but like, let's say Stripe isn't great in France. Okay. Um, 
Paddle has the ability to basically swap out, um, and they do this obviously in real time and for you, right? Um, Stripe isn't in a location, so we basically have the right payment backend um, for you know it to be taken care of in that particular location, um, and that's the biggest thing. Is it's like it's it's not quite an apples and apples comparison. Like there is part of the Venn diagram that does definitely cross over, um, but it's very much like just a different approach to handling honestly, billing and your payments infrastructure. Um, but yeah, the do it for you is really where, where this kind of came into play, where they do it for you on that end. We do it for you for retention. And then we were going to start doing it for you for pricing and a couple of other things. Um, and that's kind of where, you know, the cultures were overlapped so much that it, it, it in the end, like there were probably more lucrative deals. Like I, I say probably because the stock value, um, you know, might, you know, it was maybe a little bit more obvious at the time. Um, but it was one of those things that like, that was really like the powerful piece was like, we're kind of continuing our journey or accelerating our journey a couple of years versus like becoming director level and everyone becomes ICs at, you know, a different type of company. What, I guess what I'm, what I'm wondering is what else did they do for us? What else? Because I think what you do is you will bring back the the charge for me. So if someone's credit card is not working you, and we lose that charge, you get it back. I think you also offer a service, which we haven't used, to help us do pricing where you will experiment, profit well, will experiment for us. Am I right? With our landing page and find yep. the right price. Okay. What else now as Paddle do you do for us? Yeah. So as, as a combined Paddle, um, retention pricing, billing, payments, localization, tax. Um, I'm going to miss a whole host of things and I'm going to get yelled at now that I, I'm part of a larger entity. I have to make sure I stay on brand here, Andrew. But I think the other no, thing is, is like, what's, what's more, I know, I know that not, not for you, never for you. There's a couple Good. of others, but I won't name them as your media competitors that I would <laughs> say. But, um, I think for the most part, like what's, what's most interesting is like, it's just a fundamentally different way of like, helping a customer like our customers what i mean by that is like instead of giving you WYSIWYG editors instead of giving you like workflows to figure out like you're never going to become an expert in tax credit cards like mechanical retention and churn your pricing your localization all these other things and so like we do a lot of stuff right now the other stuff that's coming out, we have products that, you know, are roadmapped um, and some that are being worked on in the pricing space, like to make it even easier for you to kind of automate parts of your pricing. Um, we have stuff that we're thinking about for like automating parts of your acquisition. But like, I want to take everything off your plate to run and grow your subscription business. That's our goal. Um, and what's kind of cool about it is like, we've sourced all this data and that's really where retains power comes in, but it's also a product mindset. And I think this is where a lot of products are going to end up going, which is like the first 10 years of the SaaS wave was very like Salesforce. Like, let me show my boss I'm doing work. Like the actual person doing the work, like hates the product, but the VP really likes it. I think the second half is like, let's not like, you know, show all this work. Let's just do the work. Um, and that's what's really exciting in, in the world of billing, which I know is not the most exciting part, but it's so important because like if I can do all this for you and you plug it in and operational headaches are taken care of and you're growing automatically, then ultimately like you can focus more on your customer, focus more on your product, which is, is ultimately what you should be doing. Globalization meaning change prices based on where the customer is, not just the currency, but also, I didn't know that that was possible. So yep. we have a lot of people in India who reach out and say, Andrew, I can't afford what you're charging. It's, it's US, it's too expensive. Yeah. You will adjust based on where they are. Yep. That's, and that's, uh, 
for folks listening who are want a direct like thing to go take action on is I would look at your traffic and if you have like let's say 30% of your traffic outside of your home region, most people listening, probably the US, um, you should be doing some sort of localization. Um, you know, not only the currency as you're describing, but um, basically adjusting the the relative price. Um, I can tell you right now, and we've seen this in the data over the past 10 years, like places like the Nordics, um, they're willing to pay about 30% more. Typically Brazil's about 20% less. Southeast Asia, you're typically 40 to 60% less. Um, it depends on your region and your product and those types of things. But like willingness to pay purchasing power parity is just so different um, that you want more volume out of certain regions and you want obviously higher prices out of other regions. Wow, okay. All right, so I see how you do that at ProfitWell and now at Paddle. Where do you see that in the future? Like if you imagine software like Pipedrive, which does, which is a CRM for salespeople at small yep. and medium-sized businesses, right now they create great software. You're saying they should be making the sales for people instead of selling software to enable their salespeople? Or, or I guess what I'm trying to understand is how does this worldview extend beyond Paddle and ProfitWell? Interesting. So I think in, yeah, that's a good question. I think in, there's going to be some places that it doesn't work, right? And what I mean by that is like, think of the very essence of your product, like whatever it is, like talking about like a consumer product, like a meditation app, right? Like they can't meditate for you, right? So obviously right. you have to do the meditation, right? But they can make everything around that meditation as easy as humanly possible. And that's what like Headspace and Calm have done, right? Like, you know, you don't have to have a yogi or anything like that or, uh, you know, someone guide you through it because they have it guided through it. They have the lesson plans, whatever it needs, and you just click a button and you kind of go, right? I think in the world of software, like, yeah, like think of all the things when it comes to sales and marketing that could be done better by algorithms than humans, right? Like there's a world where ads, there's a world where like, you know, kind of how you figure out your ad networks or how you figure out where your ads go, how to figure out your ad copy. It gets really interesting, right? Now, a long enough timeline, this will be difficult, but from a sales example, imagine if Pipedrive had a way to like basically do prospecting for you and put you in front of the right mm. person and get them actually on the phone, right? And you might be thinking like, oh, that's impossible, right? We need BDRs. It's like BDRs in a lot of ways are, are um, almost like the judgment they're actually doing in really well-run BDR teams is not as much as one would think. Like they might be cleaning the data, but then the data gets cleaned by a RevOps team. And then it's like, well, they're handling responses. It's like, well, the AE might be able to handle those responses, right? Like it's one of those things where like, if you just kind of take it out, like there's a lot of things that it can do, but then actually selling the essence of your product and talking about the value, that's probably where you're not going to get, you know, you know, some sort of efficiency that's done for you. And that's probably where like the water's edge goes, but that's so much more than, Allowing me yeah. to have a tool to track relationships and, you know, put data in and getting some reporting out, so on and so forth. So, you know what, then you and I are talking using Riverside. Great software because it lets yeah. me edit your side of the conversation separate from mine. And then our editor, Ari DeSormo, she will be leveling it. You're, I've been happy with it, but you're making me realize they could be doing so much more. Why does Ari have 100%. to figure out that your mic is lower than mine or I shout more than you and then adjust the volume? And maybe there are times when you get too loud and the yeah. software should be picking that up. It should just let me record, figure everything else out, and then publish automatically to whatever platforms I want to be on. And that's what you're saying. We are not having software do enough because what we're thinking about is software that gives people 
I don't know, a product instead of the full result. I think Ari should be making creative decisions about an episode, not spending their time doing the mechanics of cleaning data and cleaning audio, right? Now, it's hard. Like, it's easy for us to, and and I do think we should expect more out of our software, right? Like, I do think, like, HubSpot should tell me, like, these are the six workflows you should do for your base, not like, oh, you gave me a bunch of WYSIWYG editors to figure out how to set up this, and I have to, like, think through it. But it is a hard problem, right? Because you want this type of podcast, so-and-so, Jay Acunzo wants like a very well, he's going to edit the hell out of it and all this other stuff, right? So it does get hard, but there's probably things in, and I know the Riverside team, like they're thinking on this wavelength. They already thought on this wavelength with this product that they have right now. Like this is better than Zoom. It's better than, you know, other stuff that existed before, right? Um, But I think that's the biggest change. And and frankly, like when we looked at other options for, for selling, it was like, yeah, we can, you know, just get the bag and, you know, kind of rest invest and that type of thing. But like I was telling you before we started recording, like I'm not done. Like I want to keep going. Like I just want to keep going. And I think it was one of those things that like, it would have been really difficult finding a company that didn't think this way. And I think it's going to be difficult to like compete if you don't think this way in the future. Like, especially as we get into this next wave of billing, let alone the next wave of a lot of these different products as, um, Honestly, as the tooling gets better and better just overall. Right. Now I asked you what you were going to do and you thought about it and you said, I've got nothing that you're going to love as what I'm going to do after the sale. (laughs) But you did have one thing. You're not buying a boat. You're not finally, I don't know, getting a house, though I imagine at some point you will. I have a house, technically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you do? In Puerto Rico. No, I have a house in Utah. No, I have a house okay. in Utah. I'm probably going to buy it in Puerto Rico as well, but um, Why I have Utah? to buy in Puerto Rico. Uh, we needed the shortest answer because I know this wasn't the track you wanted to go down. Um, we needed a West Coast office. Um, I was ready not to live in Boston anymore. I think as you get mm-hmm. older cities, it's like, it's like the benefits start to go down and the costs stay the same in a lot of cities. And so... Um, I was ready to go. And then, um, yeah, we needed a, a sales office basically. And, and Utah is like, I think one of the best places to hire sales folks. I think it's an amazing right. place. Uh, but yeah, that's why Utah. You have salespeople. What's your sales process yeah. now? I thought it was all freemium. People are folks. signing up. You do. And so how do you, if you can't yeah. go to build with and see who's, well, actually, I guess you could go to build with and yeah, see who's can. doing yeah, yeah, yeah. payment. What's your process right now? And then we'll get into the thing that you're going to do. Totally. So we run kind of a classic inside sales model. So, so freemium, what a lot of people don't understand with freemium is like, yes, there is a network effect that you get with a free user who then decides to upgrade, um, to a paid plan or get on the phone or whatever it is. But, um, we ran what's called a forever free model, which is basically like, it's a product that provides tremendous amount of value, but we don't have like a premium version of it to sell, like, or at least a very obvious freemium version. Because if I'm like, great, this is free until you're a million ARR and then I force you to charge, you still lose the fundamentals we were talking about in the beginning, which is like people just don't value an analytics product, right? So the reason we're free is less because of the, um, the, the free to paid aspect, although that does exist, and it's more about the network effect. Um, what how you build these outcome products and how you build these products that do it for you, it's a data problem. Because remember, we need data for the analytics, for the insights, and all of that guides the outcomes. And we just finish the idea by, you know, basically finishing um, or finishing the, the the solution for you with that outcome. And the reason that's so important is because like, 
I we know more about credit cards like in a retention subscription mindset than anyone else in the world, right? Paddle understands like currencies in different countries and tax in different countries better than probably anyone else in the world, right? And it's because of the data that's basically creates that network effect and every single additional profile user basically improves those algorithms that help the product that you guys use basically get more churn or uh, reduce more churn and get more customers to stick around. And so, yeah, that's the big thing. Now our sales motion, um, we run a very classic inside sales motion. Um, we, I think, do really well. We have an 18% account to call ratio, um, which is kind of insane if you think about what it. What does that mean? Um, so we contact 100 companies, and this is outbound. This is not even inbound, mm -hmm. meaning they're not even on profitable yet. We contact 100 companies outbound, 18 of them get on the phone, um, which industry standards, depending on who you look at, which benchmarks you look at, is typically 7 8%. Okay. Um, and we've started jacking up the volume. We've been doing the volume every single quarter, hiring more folks. Um, but the way that we're able to get that is we really approach highly personalized, um, you know, kind of like just really well done emails, I would argue. Um, we bring in as much data as we can. Like we'll calculate, even if you're not on ProfitWell, like an estimate of how much you're losing um, right now, just based on your website, your traffic, what we estimate your your ARPU to be. We'll do custom video at the lead level. Um, basically like, you know, hey, Andrew, Patrick here from ProfitWell. Hey, Ari, Patrick here from ProfitWell. Like we'll do those lead You mean you're videos. sitting down and you're doing that personally or your salespeople are doing that personally I'm not, every day? I'm not anymore. But uh, it's not every day. They, but each each rep, um, well, we have a couple reps that do it, um, you know, and not everyone does it. But we have a, each of those reps that does it is like 200 per week that they're recording. Um, and we have a whole system. Like we have it down to about a dollar per video plus the rep's time. Like we have a whole system that we, and this is the advantage of being bootstrapped. You don't throw money at a problem. You think through every little incremental step and then you like basically design a system around it. So yeah, long story short, um, we do that. Then it gets onto a, um, a call with a AE. The AE basically pushes for an ROI audit, which is hook up to ProfitWell. We will tell you based on all the data, here's where you are, here's where you could be, this is how much this would bring you, and this is how much this would cost. Um, makes it a very no-brainer. Um, which is kind of the, the point. And then um, depending on their size, like if they're a smaller company, they'll get up and running relatively quickly. Um, if they're a larger company, you might have to go through InfoSec and procurement and all those kinds of things and then actually get implemented um, and kind of run from there. Um, and a similar process for our other paid products is basically run. But uh, yeah, and then we have a whole inbound system with all our media and content. But uh, yeah, that's hopefully useful to people listening. Or it is just useful. Like lost you a bunch of audience here. <laughs> I don't think so. Let's, um, I'm curious about like the whole process. I could do a whole episode on that, but we're close to the end here. Can you hear that airplane, by the way, since I'm sitting outside? No, no. I can't. This is it's amazing. Great. I love it. You have okay. a good mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love being outside. I also, it's, uh, it's also crisp.ai, which allows me to work out here. I check the internet connection. Austin has very good internet, so that helps. Um, That's great. Health. What are you doing? That's the big treat yourself to something new post sale thing, right? Yeah, that's what. What's funny is you were like, you were like, oh, is there something you're going to be able to do? And I was like, I didn't, I like, I didn't even understand the question, right? And you were like, well, I'll interview people, and they're like, I never, I've always wanted to try surfing, and I'm going to go try surfing. And I was like, I have nothing on that wavelength right now. Um, I, I'm not into cars. I like, you know, I'm not into watches or anything crazy. I think for me. Um, 
health is a big thing um, that I have sacrificed and I know I've sacrificed it. And when I say sacrifice, it makes me sound noble. I don't think it was noble, but like whenever, like I've gained a hundred pounds with the company, like, and whenever there was a choice to like not go to the gym or order crap food so that I can like keep emailing or keep doing something, I always uh-huh. chose the email. Um, and so it was one of those things that as soon as, as soon as like this was going, I, and I did lose some weight during COVID, but like, as soon as this started like happening, I was like, that's the the treat is like now I have enough means that there shouldn't be any excuse. There really wasn't before, but yeah, I'm going to, um, or I'm already in, I already have a coach. I got a personal trainer. I have like meal prepping and you know, all that outsourced basically. Um, or someone's no bringing you food at, once a week, so no matter where you are, someone's bringing you food. You're in London have, right now. I have London. I have prepped meals. This is actually a lot cheaper and a lot less complicated than you think it is. Like uh-huh. I have a coach, uh, who like a nutrition coach is actually through, you might know Adam Gilbert. Do you know my body yeah, tutor at all? He's in Austin tutor. and Kagan. It's funny. Like I, I texted Adam and I didn't tell him why, but I, I had failed out of my body tutor like eight years ago. And I was like, Hey man, I know it's worth it. I just can't, I'm not focused, but I started up again and I was like, Hey man, I can now I have, <laughs> I, I now know I'm going to dedicate to it. And also was like, I'm an idiot if this doesn't work at this point. Um, and so <laughs> my coach She's like, going to London, here's a list of places you should order. I'm like, great. I have a VA and I'm like, hey, VA, can you order this for me, please? And that was all taken care of. It's in my like uh, apart hotel. Um, and then back to Puerto Rico, I got another one. I'm traveling for two weeks. So I have different stops and different places that I'll have prepared food and stuff. And just trying to like take this complete, like no excuses. That's what I'm trying to do. And um, it's been working. It's been working. Like I'm, and it's I'm the- not, you know, down a hundred pounds yet, but it's been, it's been working. It's the person at my body tutor who will find you somebody in whatever city you're in who you can buy food from and have them prep it and all that. Yeah, it's it's I think yeah, basically. It's not like a service. I don't know if it's an official service that they provide, but I you know, I I asked Haley or Haley actually suggested it. She's like, Do you want me to reach out when you're in London mm-hmm. or where you're wherever? I'm like, Yes, this would be extremely convenient. This would be great. Um and so and then she's like, All right, let's find another person in Puerto Rico. We're gonna find this. And so um yeah, I did tell, I told Adam, I was like, I need someone who, and the reason I failed out of my body tutor first time, I think not just because the company, but like Adam, Adam was my coach and he was just always so supportive. And I was uh-huh. like, you know, to bring it back to the beginning, I was like, Adam, I need you to yell at me if I'm letting you down. <laughs> like, I need you to be disappointed in me. I need you to like, he's like, no man, we're going to get through it. We're going to like focus. We're going to get through it. We're going to keep these habits. I'm like, Adam, I need you to be like, Hey Patrick, you fucking agreed to this. You agreed to it and you didn't put stuff into the app. And so Haley, uh, is, uh, is definitely, you know, thankfully we haven't, I had to have, haven't had to get yelled at yet, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. And I've been maybe two months in and so far, but yeah, I'm pretty, uh-huh. pretty excited to like, not, uh, I don't want to be a fat dad. I know that sounds like kind of weird, but I just, I want to be a dad that's around. Yeah. Um, I don't even have kids yet. And I'm like, nah, if I'm going to do this now, we're, we're in kid territory now. I was like, I want to be around and I want to be able to like, you know, you know, basically like, I don't know, like be able to go everywhere and not like be, oh, I'm tired or this. And I, I know yeah. like I, I'm, I'm very resilient and I push through things and work too long and too many hours. But like, it's one of those things where I'm like, still, I know that like, this is going to give out at some point, like I'm pretty young still, but it's like going to give out and I'm not going to be able to like push through. My body's just going to be like, you can go screw yourself. Um, and so Unless I they start to, to copy the things that, that you do, 
the little things that you don't want them to copy that are part of who you are. They just make it part of them. All right. Yeah. Congratulations. Profit well. Thanks, man. What a freaking ride. It's been good, (sighs) man. It's been good. It's not over yet, which I'm excited about. I do think if it was over, this is going to be a dramatic ending for you. I just realized I, I want to give you a dramatic ending. Do it. Um, I, I told you in the beginning, I talked to a bunch of founder friends about like who, you know, like should you sell, should you not? And obviously all of them had sold, so some of them regretted it. I think that if I just, and the fun fact, or it's not so fun, out of those 30 people, three of them had major addictions or alcoholism that came after the company um, ended. And all three of them are in a good place now, which is great. But they all had just walked away and like gave the keys over to the buyer. And um, they, and I, and I, you know, I know them well enough where I was like, Hey, like, are you like, do you think this contributed to it? And they said, and what, what, I don't know, maybe this is rationalization, but I was like, I think that if I just gave her the keys, I would end up like them because I just, I love what I do so much. And it's not that I can't do something else, but like there's just more in the tank. And and it's one of those things that I think that's another thing to kind of think about um, when you're kind of going through this. Like if it's for the money, it's, it's hard. Like it's going to be something that you have to consider, like, especially given your lifestyle, what's important to you, et cetera. But like, you really got to consider, are you going to be able to keep going? Are you going to start something new? Do you want to do something else? And and that's something that you got to have to have good advisors around you because I think that like some people sell and they regret it almost instantly. And then that void is filled with like not great stuff. Um, so it's just something to think about. Well, I'm glad you're still there. We'll have to check up on you in a bit. Just see what you're up yeah, to. Yeah, but I guess as long as you're you're there daily, the big problem is that you're going to be too addicted to your work. And if you're yeah, not, that's when totally. we should all worry. All right, Patrick. Oh, I wasn't. That that wasn't a call for help. Just to be clear, <laughs> that wasn't. I'm a call putting for out help. a call for help. I feel like my. I remember when you got COVID. I was like, I didn't know what COVID was at the time. I go, dude, are you okay? Are you That's dying? True. You did. You gave me a really me was, nice text. I was genuinely worried, and then you know yeah. we realized, okay, people can come come through this like it's nothing, and I felt like such a douche. Oh yeah, it was pretty early. <laughs> it oh was. no, no, no! It was it was the okay. nicest. Like it was the nicest thing, and it was like one of those things where I was like. Like, I didn't even think you remembered me because we haven't hung out in a while. And I was like, oh, maybe he like doesn't doesn't remember me or whatever. That was like a really nice note. So thank you for that. And All right, I'm glad, good. I'm glad we could like close the loop it. here on another episode of podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. The website, ProfitWell. Go check him out on Twitter. What's your Twitter account? It's like PC something, right? On Twitter? No, it's Paticus. Uh, P-A-T-T-I-C-U-S. It's a childhood nickname. So Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, we'll save that story for another pod. Uh, yeah, I've been following you forever. That's how I keep staying in touch with you. All right, thank you. And thank you, everyone. 